Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Jason Cochran, hosting solo today while Ira is away. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the leading show on the future of work that's confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. Because of you, we've become a top 1% podcast globally in total popularity. We're also in the top 100 in business management and also in the top 100 for thought leader podcasts. Thank you for listening and for helping us get there. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. You're going to hear more about the Y operating system and Y Institute later on in the show. So I've got a question for you as we kick off today's show. If there was a soundtrack for your life, what bands and songs would be on it? I could tell you mine. I would have plenty of Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and grunge rock on my soundtrack. But there would also be some pop, ballads, hip-hop, classic rock, blues, and lots of other stuff too, depending on the phase of life and the context at that time. But all of it would help tell the story of me and instantly communicate to others some of the important moments in my life that shaped who I am today. Well, we've officially reached the three-year anniversary mark of when COVID, quote-unquote, started in the United States. So it was around this time three years ago when the NCAA March Madness Tournament was abruptly canceled, and all of us went into survival mode, not knowing what was going on or what the future would hold. And it's been a tumultuous ride for all of us in every aspect of our lives, and some people more so than others. There's no doubt that we're living in some fast and furious times with massive change happening seemingly every week now, especially with the proliferation of artificial intelligence now. But as a Future of Work podcast, sometimes it can be good to take a step back and remind all of us that the future of work isn't just about our rapidly changing technology, it's also about us. And it's about how we experience work and all of this systemic change going on around us. And I had the opportunity to discuss this just this week at the Healthcare Distribution Alliance Convention and Expo here in Indianapolis. The focus of the discussion was on building connected organizations and the future of work to improve the employee experience. Why is that important? Well, make no mistake, employee experience is the most important currency for businesses in the 21st century and moving forward. But how do you help people and teams feel connected and the ways that matter if more of them are working in different parts of the world and from home and possibly on different time schedules? Well, that's what we're going to get to today. And it turns out that a trip down memory lane combined with music that has shaped our individual journeys can be an important part of keeping teams and people connected. And that's why we're stoked to have Brian Moore, the co-founder at Anthem, joining us to help unpack this mystery around employee experience. They do some incredible employee experience work, and we're going to learn more about it here shortly. But before we bring Brian on for that conversation, we've got to get to our Perfect Labor Storm segment. Perfect Labor Storm segment on each episode is where we're going to focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we think you should know about. So here's this week's Perfect Labor Storm. You probably heard this. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, just announced 10,000 more layoffs this week, which is roughly 12% of its workforce, and it's the second major round of cuts in just four months. And this joins other recent layoff announcements in the past few weeks at Twitter, General Motors, Citigroup, SiriusXM, Twilio, McKinsey, KPMG, Yahoo, Tyson, and DocuSign, just to name a few others. And when doing these layoffs, it's important for these companies to remember that according to Glassdoor, 77% of candidates Take a company's culture seriously before considering whether to accept an offer. And that culture means also how they handle these difficult situations right now when there have to be layoffs. And for those who are still at their organization or working remotely, according to BetterUp, 25% of those employees report a lack of belonging 
and 40% of the remote employees report feelings of isolation. So lots of interesting stuff to chew on here as we set the table with Brian Moore so that we can talk about employee experience and how we can build connected organizations with people. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to Brian Moore, co-founder of Anthem. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you so much for being with us today. So let's start here. Lots of stuff to unpack there, right? So we've got a lot we're going to get into. But first and foremost, let's get to know you a little bit better on, on a certain level. So tell us about you and your journey and how you got interested in this concept of employee experience and trying to help organizations improve it for their people. Well, I've got to tell you that as I was thinking about the name of the show, particularly the geeks and geezers, and trying to figure out where do I fit in between those two, I have to say for sure on the geezer side is probably evidenced by some of the more silver color hair that's growing on my face and on my head. It's interesting. I've been in and around HR and people technology now for coming up on 25 years. And I've just, other than the first five years of my career, which was not focused on the people HR technology space these last almost 25. I just, I am absolutely, I just love it. I love understanding how people operate, the connections between people. And I had an experience about six years ago. I was a part co-founder in a purpose-based executive search firm. And I needed a group, a peer-to-peer -peer network, just to continue my own learning, my own journey, my own development. And as I was introduced to this group, I had this really amazing experience called the Lifeline. And I would imagine many of your listeners uh, have gone through something similar, where I was responsible for delivering about an hour-long presentation to a brand new group of people that I was being placed into this peer-to-peer learning network with a group of about nine other folks and delivering my lifeline, which essentially was the story of my life from birth up to current day at that time was used as a mechanism to develop immediate connection, immediate trust and immediate sense of belonging so that that peer to peer network could really operate at its highest level. And having gone through that experience and recognizing how powerful it is to be that open, that transparent about the life I've lived with a group of strangers and how quickly I was able to develop a sense of trust and connection and belonging with them. The idea started to roll around my head as well as my co-founder who I met through that group and I didn't know him prior to of if we could bring a group of strangers together that don't even work for the same company, what could we do leveraging that kind of an open, transparent sharing experience to bring members of a team together that spend Monday through Friday, every waking hour virtually that they have pursuing a common goal, a common mission. And so that was sort of like the, the little spark that has now become Anthem and what we've been doing. And little did we know that the world was going to explode into a much more remote and geographically distributed workplace than what it was when the idea started to roll around in our heads. Absolutely. Well, and I've got to imagine a little bit, this is almost like Colonel Sanders and the secret recipe for making chicken. <laughs> you probably have the secret recipe for how you build connected teams. You um, know, I mean, you did it with strangers. So we're not going to ask you to give away all your trade secrets today. But what is some of that magic that you've captured that helps get people connected, regardless of where they are in the world, whether or not they've been with their team in person? What are some of the things that you've found in those experiences you had and how you shape those in Anthem that help solve these major problems we have now in business? Yeah, I mean, I think if I had to pick the one thing, it would be the timeless and timely art of storytelling and not like having to think up some grand story that you create from scratch. Instead, it's actually simply taking that trip down the memory lane of one's life and thinking about some of those really meaningful, significant, or even the everyday moments that really matter to us and have shaped how we think, how we show up, how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, the lessons we've learned, the advice we've been given, the victories we've celebrated, the failures that have taught us super valuable lessons, helping each person sort of think through what those memories, moments, experiences, and even eras of their life have been, and then using those as stories to help get to know the people that you work with every single day. 
is really the secret sauce. And if I had to sort of layer in an additional little secret ingredient to the recipe, helping people like evoke those memories and bring them back to life. That's where things like music can be so incredibly powerful. I would imagine just about everybody who's listening to this podcast has had one of those moments where they've been in an elevator, in a restaurant, in a car, wherever, and a song has come on that you haven't heard in a while. And immediately you hear those first few notes, the first few lyrics, and you are taken back like in the most unbelievable time machine to a place and time in your life. Where, where that song connects you to a particular experience. And so marrying the timely and timeless art of storytelling with inspirational media triggers like music, books can do the same thing. Movies can do that. Television shows, uh, different types of smell and recipes and food is another one. So by just sort of combining things that are every day for us has been really the secret sauce behind what Anthem's been able to create over the past couple of years. I dig it. And you heard at the very top for me, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and Grunge Rock Yeah, are a lot of the soundtrack of my life. And you're exactly right. When I hear those songs, it takes me back to certain places and times, things that I was doing and, and helped me get through certain times in my life. And Ira posted a comment here for him. Santana is his that gets you in a certain mind frame. How about yeah. for you? I know you you have an experience we need to dig in on this called the five memory intro. We need to yep. dig into what that specifically is because that's one specific thing that you offer and do inside organizations to build that connection. But for you, what are some of those musical groups or songs that are really kind of staples of your life? Yeah, so uh, my answer will depend greatly on which sort of time frame in life, but like you. So as I was a teenager and start, starting to find my identity as a person, and I often find that our earliest memories of music, for, for most people, not everyone, but for most, we really start to connect with certain bands, certain artists, certain songs during those like middle school into high school years where we're starting to find out who am I as a person? And similar to you, I was into some pretty heavy metal, like Metallica. My very first Metallica concert ever was in Q3 of 1998. I saw them at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, Illinois, and I was in the second row. And so like when I hear from the Master of Puppets album, the song Battery, you know, that really soft acoustic intro, and then it just crescendos into just this... <laughs> just this raucous beat, like it immediately takes me back to my time as a member of my high school swim team. So I have like certain songs and certain bands connect me to different memories. My very first concert ever was the band Anthrax, which is also kind of in that sort of heavy speed metal genre. And there's certain songs like Caught in a Mosh that just Again, they take me to very specific memories and I could sort of map out my life based on music that was corresponding to what was happening to me at, at those times in my life. I love that. I love the the reference to anthrax. And for those that are out there, no, we're not talking about the disease. Yes, it is the disease. <laughs> we're talking about an actual metal hard rock band in the 90s. Sound of White Noise was the name of the album. And I used to play on repeat on the CD player. Room for one more. Just rocking out to that song. So I absolutely love it. You mentioned but, Guns N' Roses, by the way, and the, yes. the Appetite for Destruction album. I mean, I think even perhaps like uh, folks that don't love Guns N' Roses, which I think is kind of hard to do. I mean, that album, top to bottom, was one of those albums in my life where it was like, something's happening in music. And that was one of those albums that was just that like Nirvana's Nevermind. Like there's certain albums that sort of signify these really major moments in the history of music that signal some sort of a fascinating evolution or change or something that's going on that's different. And I think Appetite is certainly, in my opinion, is one of those albums. No doubt about it. And so obviously, Brian, we, we have a lot of folks who, who listen to the show. They love pop culture references. They love the future of work. But we also have a lot of business owners, too. And so now let's try to funnel the, the conversation now in terms of how does this come into the workplace and improve the employee experience? How does it help these teams, the people on the teams, better understand each other and create that cohesion to be able to accomplish great things together? You have one specific type of offering that does that called the five memory intro. Can you walk us through that to put a little bit more meat on this in terms of how it drives business value to help teams perform better. 
Yep, absolutely. So we're big believers that having someone at work that you consider a friend, knowing that there are people in your workplace that care about you as a person, these are really, really important to overall productivity, to retention, to engagement. And we want to help foster that. And so this experience that we introduced about two and a half years ago called the five memory intro was really our attempt to finally introduce a technology that could move the needle on employee engagement. If you look at Gallup's Q12 results over the past 20 to 25 years and the people across both the US and the world that are engaged and not engaged, those lines have barely budged in either direction. I mean, it's basically a flat line and yet companies are spending billions of dollars every year. And so what we wanted to do was kind of flip the script, flip this thing on its head and finally introduce something that gets at what's real and how can you really focus on that connection challenge that was really accelerated by the pandemic. And so many people now working remotely or in a geographically distributed kind of model where seeing people in a physical building has gone away. And so the five memory intro is a two-part experience. Part one is each member of a team is invited to take a trip down their memory lane of their life and think about five different memories that they'd be really excited to share with their colleagues as a mechanism to help become better known, not for what they do, not their job title. Like we can see that on LinkedIn, but the other side of that coin is, well, who is Brian? Who is Jason as a person? And we have found that using five memories is an unbelievably powerful place to start because you give people the option to choose any memories that matter to them. They don't need to be, you know, the most celebratory, victorious memories or the most challenging, sad ones. It's any memory that they want that reveals a little bit more about who they are. And then as a part of that reflection experience, each one of those memories, we ask the participants to dedicate or symbolize it with a song that corresponds to the memory. It might be the memory that when you hear that song, that's the memory that immediately pops. Or like my high school swim team experience that I shared a few moments ago, I think about Metallica as a band in particular. There's a few songs that immediately come to mind, but there isn't just one song. So we ask the folks to build the soundtrack to those five memories. Then what we do is we help facilitate either by providing the resources that the team leader needs, or we'll bring in one of our facilitators to bring the team together and engage in what's been best described as a campfire style story and music sharing experience. And Jason, as you can imagine, if you get a group of teammates together that have already created this sort of reservoir of five memories and five songs, and then you, you bring them together for a storytelling and a music sharing experience, the serendipity and magic that comes from what you and I like barely in, in moments, like immediately can start connecting on Guns N' Roses and Metallica. And while that might be somewhat surfacey, there are stories and memories that live beneath what those bands and songs mean to us. And it's a really safe way and accessible on-ramp for the most gregarious folks like me and even the most shy and reserved folks. Music is a really safe topic to open doors and help people connect with one another. And so, yeah, again, imagine you're on a remote or a geographically distributed team and you really don't know all that well the people that you work with. This is a mechanism to help begin to build those bridges so that you can build those meaningful relationships, that deeper level of trust that is so critical to high-performance teamwork. Well, I think that's part of the brilliance of what you've created here is music absolutely is a universal language you know, that, that folks all around the world could connect with it. And I think what you've touched on here is something that I still see a lot of organizations struggle with. I, I saw it on Monday at this convention when we were talking about personal values, discovering your why and things like that. These things aren't necessarily rocket science, but I think many times there's, there's a part of us or with other people that we work with to just have the guard up and, and not want to show or, or feel reluctant to show who we really are yep. and the experiences that we have yep. and say, okay, I want to keep you an arm's length away because I'm not sure I can totally trust you. Yep. And to a certain extent, are there parts of your personal life that you should share at work? Probably not. It's up to every single person what they want to share. But music and how music ties into some of those memories that you're willing to share feels like it really is the grease 
to get the wheels moving of opening up and talking about things that aren't just about work, that are things about you on a personal level to understand how that person ticks. And I think being able to use music as one of those mediums is an absolutely brilliant way to help people draw down some of those barriers and be willing to be more vulnerable, share parts of themselves with others, and other people share parts of themselves. And then I think what happens then is you start to understand a little bit more about them. So you become more forgiving and understanding in certain situations or contexts. Like, okay, I remember Billy shared such and such memory. So next time he's asking follow-up questions when the rest of us are trying to get out of this meeting, I know the reason he's asking is because he had a bad experience in the past where he didn't get all the information he needed and it ended up becoming a disaster in this particular situation. I think it just brings a whole new level of understanding for people to be patient and believe the best in others and to be able to look past some of the the annoying habits, quote unquote, (laughs) maybe that we see sometimes with others and understand they're not trying to be annoying. It might just be part of their experience. With that, so you took us on on the trip of what the five memory intro experiences and, and a little bit of the campfires. What are some of the other elements when you work with an organization that you bring to the table to improve the employee experience? Yeah, there's a couple of other things that we've learned over the past you know two, two and a half years that we've been doing this. So when we launched, all we knew was that at the time, you know, most of the business world was operating remotely. And so all of that in-person connection time vanished quite quickly. And so we knew there was an acute need that team leaders were having to find a way to bridge connection, to build relationships. And you know, the Zoom happy hours and the virtual escape rooms and all those sort, sort of game-oriented things, I think, began to run its course. And so we wanted to bring something really powerful, unique, innovative, and something that was very real, which again, uh, manifested itself in this five memory intro experience. Well, having delivered that to you know over 150 different teams over the past couple of years, we just wanted to hear from our clients, what else do they need, especially those clients that have chosen remote or a geographically distributed workplace model as their go forward model. And we're not advocating that you should or shouldn't be remote. People are making those decisions on their own. But for those that have chosen that, what will they need to make sure that a culture of connection in a world where there's no building to connect in stays alive and vibrant? And so through just being super curious and delivering all these experiences, two things came back. Number one, they need something that helps build a connection muscle in an ongoing way. You can't do team building or team connection once a year. You know, you do your year end holiday party and expect that that's going to create the lasting impact throughout the rest of the year. So whether the team leader wants to do that weekly or monthly or every other month or quarterly is up to him or her. Whatever they think is the right cadence, we've built a connection system that they can pull from a library of already designed campfire style experiences. Some of them use music, some of them use movies, some of them use books, some of them use television shows, some of them use TED Talks, and some of them are just straight up really interesting Q&A. One of my favorites we call Museum Day. And the question, it's a one question experience. And the question is, if a, so, Jason, I'll ask you and just think about it. If a museum was going to dedicate an exhibit to your life to date, what three items would you want on display for people to learn about you? So that you, if you tee that question up to a team and you give them a couple weeks to think about it, document their responses, and then the team leader brings the team together for their regular Monday morning meeting or their monthly town hall. For 15 to 30 minutes, you've got a team of 10 to 12 people. That becomes a really powerful, interesting conversation that is all about learning about your teammates in a really different way. And so we've created, long way to say, we've created this pretty big library of these ready-made experiences that takes all the guesswork and creativity off of an already taxed team leader that they can just pull this, it's convenient, boom, set it and forget it. And you've got your year's worth of 
team connection activities set and ready to roll again at whatever cadence makes the most sense. And then the second thing is uh, imagine that in some time in let's call it 2021 or even 2022, you've been hired onto a brand new team. You've done all of your interviews remotely. You've met your boss remotely. Like you've never met anybody. And the likelihood of spending a lot of time with them in person is probably small. So how does new hire onboarding actually happen? Not the logistical side of it, not making sure that your benefits and payroll and passwords and computer equipment is making it to you. That matters. But how do you actually accelerate connection and relationships and that sense of belonging when you may not have the opportunity to meet your teammates for a long period of time post your first day? And so we've taken that five memory intro experience that we would deliver as a team building experience and have productized it into either an email or a Slack integration where a new hire like me can introduce myself to my teammates by sharing, hey, here's five memories that have been meaningful to me. And here are five songs that correspond to those memories. And from there, if you're one of my new teammates, now you've got something really interesting to immediately connect with me on. If nothing else, you've certainly added a lot more knowledge of who I am way beyond what might be listed on my LinkedIn profile. So those two things are like the big learnings, this ongoing connection system and then the new hire onboarding product to really humanize how are remote and geographically distributed teams building ongoing connection and relationships so that trust and safety stays high. Well, I love that it's already built, that it's off the shelf, that it's ready to use because yep. one of the challenges I often hear from managers and leaders is I don't have the time to think about these activities and experiences that we've got to design to help people be connected. We've got a job to do. Yep. And totally understand it. Totally get it. But I think what we've learned, you know, we talked at the top, we're now at the three-year anniversary of COVID officially happening in the United States when things started to shut down. And I, I think that one of the, the things that has come out of this whole experiment is it helped us realize how many of us people were just in the rat race. Uh, you show up, you put one foot in front of the other every day, you go to work, do the work, the job, but you don't think much about other existential questions about why am I working? Does this make me feel fulfilled? Does it bring me meaning? What do I think about my team? What do I think about the organization? Do I feel like I'm using my strengths? Is this the type of legacy or impact I want to have? More and more people are starting to have those types of questions. And employee experience is now the currency that's going to be very important for businesses. And so for leaders to have solutions like you've created at Anthem that say, you don't have to create the wheel all over again. We've already got the stuff that's evidence-based, that works, that's ready to use out of the box, I think is absolutely a huge help. We've hit the bottom of the hour here. We're going to take a quick two-minute break, Brian, and come back. And when we come back, let's dig into a little bit more of the future of work. I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball be Nostradamus, <laughs> and, and there's going to be no right or wrong answers, but let's have a little fun about what do we think the future of connection looks like? What do we think the future of work looks like? Because as we've seen, just with artificial intelligence becoming more mainstream as of November, it feels like things are just picking up and that things are going to start accelerating even faster in terms of how workplaces are changing. So we're going to take a quick two-minute break, and then we'll dive into those things whenever we come back. We'll see you on the other side. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying, and unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock, and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us, and that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts.
starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion. A coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. That knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs. A coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? And welcome back, everybody, to Geek Skeezers Googleization. We're joined by the co-founder of Anthem today, Brian Moore. And we covered a lot in that first segment. I mean, we're talking about some of our favorite rock bands, certain life experiences, how we bring this into the workplace um, to create amazing employee experiences. And we even had some of our comments from some other listeners. We got Santana listed here, Van Halen 1 and 2 as another one from Greg Walters. So anyone else who's out there watching and listening live, feel free to drop that in the chat. would love to see it. But uh, Brian, before we left, I said, let's play Nostradamus here because the, the future is here. Artificial intelligence now is proliferating very quickly since it's open source and now everybody can access it and integrate it into their software solutions that are in the marketplace. So let's make some predictions here. When, when, when you think about the future of work, let's start here. What's your biggest hope? For the future of work, what's the biggest positive, the thing that you're most looking forward to that you think is going to improve in the next few years? So just reflecting on even yesterday's launch of chat GPT-4 and just seeing a little glimpse of some of the use cases and what people have been able to do with it. My hope is, is that so many of the, like these administrative, very manual routine tasks that we often have to do will continuously be replaced by AI such that we can all tap into our own uniquenesses and really bring to bear what our true gifts and talents are. And that that frees up time to build more meaningful relationships, more meaningful connections. You know, one thing that is just so obvious, yet I think often either undervalued or ignored completely is, and this comes from the Survey Center of American Life, which I believe is a part of the Gallup organization, that at least in America, the number one way Americans make friends is at work. And yet with the explosive growth of remote, uh, pre-pandemic levels, I think it was around 5% of Americans who were working remotely. It obviously spiked big time in 2020 and 21, but it has settled back down to about 26%, which is still a 500% growth. How do those people, how do those millions of folks actually find connection and friendship? And my hope is, is that this next future, the future we're living into is one where people are starting to really make meaningful connections. The loneliness epidemic that's been sweeping across the globe, not just here in the States, but across the world, that we can actually begin to help people feel like that uh, the place they spend the most time at when their eyes are open at work is a place where they can really develop meaningful relationships because relationships, as proven by so many studies, one in particular, the Harvard Study of Adult Development, having close relationships is the number one determinant of living a happy and healthy life. And so that's my hope. Like, how do we inject more health and happiness in life? And I believe part of that recipe, one of those ingredients is really amazing relationships and why not use the workplace to do that? Well, and just to, to echo what you just shared there, I talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs on Monday at the Healthcare Distribution Alliance Convention and how the, the needs for belonging, for safety and connection are second only to our basic biological needs of air, food, and water. That's how important it is. And Kate Lister, she's the president of Global Workplace Analytics. She was on just a few weeks ago, and she shared with us that in the middle of the pandemic, we had 60% of the workforce was working remotely, full-time. And so when we think about, you know, will we get back to those numbers? I think there's a strong likelihood at some point in the future, yes, we will get to a point where 60%, maybe even more, of people are working remotely. 
And so what you're talking about, the things that you're working on, on creating connection, regardless of where you're working in the world, to create those cohesive teams, to battle those feelings of isolation, is just going to become even more important over time if we start to get back to those levels again of 60 plus percent working remotely, even if it's just for a a few days per week and more of like a hybrid type fashion. Yeah. Now on the flip side of the coin, so there's the hope piece. Now, I'm not going to say let's get to the doomsday piece, but let's get to the what are maybe some of the fears that you have in the future of work that we need to guard against and make sure that we're that we're prepared for. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's fascinating again just reflecting on ChatGPT and some of the other AI tools that I've gotten just small glimpses of. I mean, do we become obsolete? Like what what do we need us for? I I mean, that's probably a little overly aggressive doomsday thinking, but I don't know. It's it's certainly interesting and harkens back for me, you know, thinking about what at the time seemed like a far-fetched movie in The Terminator and the whole Skynet or Cyberdyne systems when the machines take over. And I don't know, it's really, really fascinating to think about, you know, some of those old school films that at the time were so sci-fi fantasy and look where we're at. And it doesn't feel all that long ago. So yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's going to become super important that all of this artificial intelligence in some way, shape or form is regulated or governed. I think if there ever were a place for governance at a macro level, whether that's the federal government or some other kind of independent body that really makes sure that we're leveraging this technology in an ethical and a moral and a in a way that really preserves and helps humanity as opposed to hurts it is going to be really, really critical. And I am by no means an expert on any of it. Well, and I'm not either, but we we had someone on last week, John Sine, who who is an expert in this stuff. And and I did ask him a question, you know, does artificial superintelligence, should we, should we consider it a threat eventually one day if it wants to be human or superior to humans? And he said, yes. And that's why we have to make sure that we're doing this in the right way, that we're putting the right safeguards in place to protect against those things. But then he said the other side of the coin, though, is he goes, I'm not as scared as I am optimistic. He said, we are going to defeat cancer. We are going to defeat Parkinson's disease and all these other diseases that have just been wretched and have ruined people's lives too soon. Artificial intelligence is going to help us solve that problem. That was just one example he gave of how we have such a bright future ahead of us in terms of how artificial intelligence is going to help us. And it's also going to help revolutionize accounting. Now to help accountants, instead of having to dig into the you know, the, the, the minutiae, the details of the actual numbers, they'll actually be able to be more advisors. For companies on here's the strategy of where you should be allocating resources and things like that. It's going to change the legal system where, again, lawyers are going to be focused more on the higher level strategy things as opposed to more of like the the type of work that maybe paralegals do. So there's going to be disruptive change. Like you said, I think it's going to require us to reskill and upskill people because we've got brilliant, a brilliant organ up here in our heads. That's the most fascinating, complex thing in the universe that can do amazing things. But I think for a long time, we have had work and there's dignity in all work. But I think for some, for some many years, we've had types of work that maybe wasn't what humans should be doing. For instance, like flipping fries at a restaurant. Yes, there may be some people who want to do that, but we need to tap more into the amazing, brilliant power, the neurodiversity of the brain. And start thinking about how we put people and set them up for success in roles that use the amazing brains that they have and let automation and artificial intelligence handle more of the mundane, repetitive pieces of work that aren't really using the higher cortical processes, but are just more things that have to be done on a task list. And I do think that we'll get it figured out, but definitely going to be some growing pains along the way. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe, just maybe this uh, set of skills and abilities that for the longest time have been referred to as soft skills, you know, things that kind of don't matter or squishy and fluffy, maybe for the first time ever at scale, we will finally recognize that those are the skills that actually make us human 
and we can begin to really develop those. And I agree with you 100% the power of the of what lives in, in our heads, in the brain and what it can do. And equally as powerful is our hearts and what we can unleash if we tap into those things that hopefully artificial intelligence never seeks to replace and what separates us from the machines is those human skills. And I, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that that is on our horizon. I love it. We're, we're going to get to the lightning segment here in just a minute, but I've got to ask you this question too, because you had a post on LinkedIn a few months back and you recently picked up guitar and figured out I, how to play guitar. What was, what was the inspiration for that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So for probably 10, 12 years of my life, Jason, I was a big fantasy football fanatic and I'd put together my team every week, like many folks who play fantasy football do. And then I would spend my Sundays on my couch yelling at my television for people to get hurt <laughs> and terrible things to happen to people so that my players would score the most points. And after years and years and years of doing that, I would find myself really just upset at the end of a Sunday. I never seemed to do all that well at fantasy football. And uh, so I made a commitment to myself at the end of a season, about six years, a little over six years ago, I said, I'm going to take one season off. And instead of the eight to 10 hours of laying on my couch every Sunday, I'm going to use eight to 10 hours and I'm actually going to learn how to play guitar. It's something I always wanted to do. And I'm going to see after a year, have I made enough measurable progress that I will be in? And it's now been a little over six years. Not only have I not played fantasy football, I, I almost never watch sports much at all. I don't watch the TV anymore, uh, other than a few shows here and there, which have really captured my heart, like Ted Lasso's new season three episode just dropped. I find that show to be so inspirational. There's no way I'm going to miss that. So I'm not like anti-television, but I've thrown all my energy when I do have some downtime into continuing this learning journey of playing guitar. And not only have I learned how to play, I'm really happy to say that the hard work continues to pay off. I'm in a, an acoustic duo with a gentleman that I met about three years ago. We have a band and we get paid by bars and restaurants and private parties. And we do a mix of you know cover songs as well as uh, some original songs. And so it's been it's never too late to learn how to do something new if you really want to get after it. So it's, I will be playing guitar for the rest of my life, no doubt. And I could not be more happy with the decision that I made to give one thing up in favor of this. I love it. And I'm jealous because I want to do that too. So I may be calling you up to get some uh, lessons on how you went about putting a plan in place to actually pull this off. But yeah, the video I saw, you were playing Seasons by Chris Cornell. Yeah, um, who was the front man in, in Audio Slave and Soundgarden. Yep. And that's not an easy one to start with. So kudos to you, my friend. Thanks, Real man. quick, before we, before we get to the, the lightning round, one last question we always like to ask our guests is, what was something I should have asked you today that I didn't? Wow. Anything you were ready to share on employee experience that we didn't get to? No, you did a great job and we covered a lot of ground. I don't know that there's any one thing in particular that I can, that immediately comes to mind. So you stumped me on that one. I don't have like some, oh, I wish Jason, you would have jumped into this topic. You, this is a great chat. And I think we covered a lot of really important ground. Awesome. Well, you'll think of it after the show, probably. And if you do shoot the <laughs> message over my way, but um, we have gotten to the, the lightning round segment. I'm going to ask you three or four questions here just to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level, help our listeners get to know you better too. And so let's start with this one. If there was one person in the history of the world that you could spend the day with, who would it be? Oh, wow. So perhaps will come as no surprise, given my just love and passion for music, it would be Jerry Garcia, who left us in August of 1995. I would love to spend a day with someone who pursued what he loved, did it for the pure enjoyment of it, and as a touring band, and in my opinion, one of, if not the greatest American rock band that was not known for their studio records, was known for never having played the same show twice in a 30 year history of being on tour, you know, roughly 200 nights every single year for 30 years to just get inside his head, understand, uh, you know, all of the ups and downs that came along with that journey and to have built such an amazing legacy that to this day, I mean, I've got teenage daughters 
and all of them know who the Grateful Dead is and listens to their music. Uh, maybe not as much as I might, but like to create something that lasts long beyond, you know, being here on the planet. I, I it just it would be a fascinating conversation. I love it. I love it. That's the first time we've gotten Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead. So I love it. Anytime we get something new on that one. How about what's something that your high school classmates would be surprised to see about you now? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so <laughs> this is going to be very revealing. When I was in high school, I was on the swim team and the school that I went to, our coach was like just renowned for being one of the most amazing coaches of how to get the best out of, out of, out of a swim team. And swimming is a really fascinating sport. It's grueling. It's difficult. It's lonely. It's not, it's a team sport, but it's not like when you're in the pool and you're practicing, you can't talk to anybody, your head's in the water and you know, it's an, you barely get time to breathe. And the level of dedication to be a great team is just unrelenting. And we had three practices every day and it was a year round sport. And so throughout high school, I didn't touch beer or experiment with anything. And boy, when I got to college and even into my early career, to say I, uh, I, I slid down the slippery slope of uh, having a good time and engaging in some partying would probably surprise some <laughs> of my high school colleagues because I was like the most straight, narrow you could have possibly imagined. I love that. Those two juxtaposed together. And so probably different soundtracks going back to the music of the stuff from high school <laughs> compared to college. Totally. Absolutely down there in totally. Bloomington. How about this one? If there's one superpower that you could pick, what superpower would you pick to have? Oh my God, if I could pick a superpower, it, it would 100% be to have an unbelievable singing voice to go along with what I've been able to, uh, to learn on guitar. Um, I think the human voice is the most powerful instrument on the planet. And when I hear folks like Adele or the late, great Whitney Houston, and you know, just pick your artist, whomever it might be that you love, like to be able to communicate that kind of emotion and power and rawness and vulnerability and, and realness through the human voice, I would love to be able to. Or Chris, like Chris Stapleton's national anthem at the Super Bowl uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Oh my God. Like, yeah, just amazing. So yeah. I, I would love to have the superpower of, of being able to sing. I love that. That's another first. You're the first one who picked that, but I couldn't agree more. I have, I live right across from Deer Creek Amphitheater. You oh, are probably well aware of that. I am. Been from and Indiana, I love that you still call it Deer Creek, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No offense to Ruoff Mortgage, who has the yes. naming rights. It's always going to be Deer Creek for those of Amen. us who lived in Indiana. Amen. But I had a friend of mine from Kokomo who's in a band, a country band called Low Cash, and they performed over there. And he said, just to be able to be up on that stage, having grown up in Indiana and to make it to that point, it was just, you know, an, an unbelievable, unforgettable experience, almost like an out-of-body experience that he was having, kind of having pinch me moments when he got to perform there. And then one more, one more here. If there's one place in the world that you could go, where would it be? Oh, man. And you don't have to stay there. It could be just a visit, but where, where would visit? you want to go? Yeah. You know, uh, there's a number, but I'll go with what my gut reaction is. So my father was born and raised in Haifa, Israel. and he hasn't been back since. He left in 1957 with his mom and dad, uh, my grandma and grandpa, who have long since passed, and he has not been back. And I would love, before my, father, my, my dad's 81, I would love to go back to Israel with him as my tour guide and bring my entire family and have him show us his home, his home country where he grew up. It would be absolutely amazing. I love that. I absolutely love that. So one more road trip with your dad back to his roots. Uh, yeah. That sounds like an amazing experience that you'd yeah, have. Well, Brian, really we can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Thank you for being vulnerable, for sharing with us the work that you're doing to help improve employee experience and build connected teams. The name of the company, again, is Anthem. You see it right there on the banner, folks. For those who aren't looking, it's A-N-T-H-Y-M. And then to learn more about the company, you can go to anthem.life to learn more about the work they do. Brian, how else can folks get in touch with you to connect and learn more? Yeah, so my email address, really simple, brian at anthem.life, and Brian is with an I. And then, of course, you could find me on you know majority of the social media platforms. Well, I shouldn't say the majority. On LinkedIn and on Twitter, 
are the two that I use most often. So you can find me there. And my last name is spelled M-O-H-R Moore, not related to the comic actor Jay Moore, which I'm often asked who I don't think I look like him even in the slightest. No, no, no. And you've got way better pipes too. Definitely, <laughs> definitely on the path to being a front man in a rock band for sure. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. Maybe more like a DJ at a radio station, I've been told. Hey, that's all right. You got to start somewhere, right? There you go. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for being with us. And we will definitely love to have you back on in the future, my friend. I appreciate you having me, Jason. Great conversation. Love the questions. Love the spirit. Love the research and all the prep work at shows. So thank you. Uh, it was really, I had a great time. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. We'll catch you again soon, my friend. Awesome. Bye. Well, there you have it, folks. We talked a lot about employee experience today. And I know sometimes that term can be nebulous for a lot of people. It's like, what does that actually mean? Or how do we actually move the needle on it? Today's episode, I think, really did that for you. Brian shared some specific things they do at Anthem, where they already have the experiences and activities that you do to build that connection across your teams and improve the employee experience ready for you. So definitely encourage if you have a chance to to look up their website, anthem.life, to learn about what they're doing, do that. It absolutely is worth it. Big takeaways for me, just the importance of, of music sometimes and being able to help tell stories. And that sometimes if we ask people to open up and talk about things, if you just leave it at that, that can be a big step for people that they may be unwilling to take. But when you inject something like music, that's a lot more safe. It brings people's guard down and lets them open up and talk more about experiences and moments in their life that have mattered. And then that in turn helps them contribute toward creating more moments that matter in the workplace so that people aren't just punching in and out to get a task or a job done, but they're actually excited about the work. They're motivated by it. They find purpose, fulfillment, and meaning in it. So that was a big takeaway for me today. We want to thank our partners at Y Institute for sponsoring today's show. We want to thank you, the listeners, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you have not smashed the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, we'd love for you to do so. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.